Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Joni Void, which is the pseudonym of Jean Nantes, a Montreal-based French-British producer whose third album for Constellation, Every Day is the Song, is out now. Depends centrally on a Walkman that Jean had in their midst for a couple of years, captured a whole bunch of audio snippets and arranged them into the pieces on this record, which these pieces have flashes of conversations, intimate, localized moments, and you spend the whole record wondering about the connections between these disparate bits of audio that have been put into relation through the arrangement. It's very much a record that almost is one step above the sounds themselves. You're led to think about how these sounds are compiled, how chronology is scrambled in the way that the record depicts various events, how it loops certain sounds. Feels like almost examining someone's process of memory, the way in which memory muddles with chronology, draws associations between sounds which can often feel divorced from, you know, notions of geographic or chronological proximity. And there's a lot of brightness on this record. There's some spirals of darkness. Ah, uh, listen on headphones. It's really lovely. Uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the album. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jean as well. So much enthusiasm for this music and it really spilled onto me. I had a great time with these records too. Yeah, so thank you for listening as always. If you want to support the podcast, you can do over at coffee, ko-fi dot com forward slash crucial listening you can donate monthly or one-off any amount you please to co- uh, to help keep the podcast ticking <laughs> struggled there okay i hope you enjoy this conversation this is Joni void on crucial listening Jean, welcome to Crucial Listening. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on the podcast. You are here to talk about three important albums and maybe a few more too. So before we get stuck into those, I want to talk about your new album, Every Day is a Song, which is out on Constellation and with which I've been having many wonderful experiences. Uh, So central to this album as I understand, is a is audio captured on a Walkman purchased back in 2020 at Death of Vinyl Right and then lost at a backwash show two years later. I mean, if you're going to lose it anywhere, it would be there. Um, could we start with this Walkman? Tell me a bit about why you bought it, if you can remember. This is a few years ago now, and and why you kept it with you throughout this you know two year period. Uh, yeah, it's really a random story. Uh, I do appreciate that they put in the press release that I, I lost the first one at the back of show. I, I, you know, that was just a little fact in whatever list of bullet <laughs> points I gave them and I never expected it to actually make it onto the press release. <laughs> I, I have since purchased a Walkman that is exactly the same as the previous one to, for continuity uh, reasons. Uh, <laughs> so 
Oh, there is a second one. I am still recording, but I do like the dramatic effect in the press release about the. <laughs> the yeah, it's good. Just, yeah, I, I guess that that album uh, is a time capsule of my years 20, 20, 21, and a big element of that was buying this random uh, Sony Walkman TCM 323 cassette recorder. I was just at Defa Vinyl, which is a random, what random, sorry, a <laughs> beloved local um, record store. And yeah, they just had a, these Walkmans on display. And I think they were like 15, 20 bucks. And nice. I was like, oh, cool, let's grab one. And then just realized, that, wait, I, I have something to record straight to tape. The, I don't know if you've experienced a Zoom microphone, but the time it takes sometimes when you switch it on mm-hmm. to just get the screen and be able to record has always been an issue for me when I'm trying to capture these, like just a siren passing by or just some like sound that by the time I've switched on the microphone, it's already gone. Yeah. Suddenly I'm with this new field recorder, not supposed to be one but it just records Im- immediately and i get this bonus tape quality to it so added to that there was also i mean that's it i bought that microphone i guess february 2020 um the next month something happened that i think the whole world experienced um mm-hmm. or uh, confined home and yeah that like a lot of people well i was just re going through my music library and because of this Walkman, also realized like, wait, I can play all these tapes that I've been hoarding for years and that I've never really had a system to play on because it was such a part of these, like, I don't know, DIY shows I was helping with uh, prior to like 2019. And yeah, sometimes the gift would be someone giving you a tape at the end or just some that I collected, but yeah, they didn't really have a means to play them. So added to the field recordings is this, what I call sample binge, uh, I, I <laughs> fell into with my whole like vinyl also, like kind of just going through lots of records that I, I would otherwise never play, but just randomly was like, okay, let's have these sessions where I'm just going through tapes and vinyls and just messing around with them and trying to like, I don't know, get sound effects sometimes, not even like get a, a proper sample. So yeah, and just, yeah, I guess there's just this little tool I had during the uh, pandemic that just whenever I walked out or something, I would just record snippets and uh, export them then to to then just go through them and take these like little seconds here and there. And so, yeah, it just began this uh, collage tape album that I guess I was also starting releasing tapes with my own label. So I sort of com- like designed this album that I figured would be my debut tape album on my own label, but then it, it oh. decided in 2022 that I would end up uh, releasing it with Constellation instead. So the irony now is that it exists on vinyl and CD. <laughs> and on paper. <laughs> that is fabulous. Uh, as you say, this has a time capsule quality to it. You go out, you'd whip this Walkman out, you'd be able to record snippets of audio. Uh, it's true. It's name. Literally like walk man and your man walk. <laughs> that's it you're living it um i wonder whether as you're thinking over the record now are there like specific memories or like unusual i don't know particularly prominent memories of recording on that walkman that kind of leap out at you when you're listening back through this album um that you can recall Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely a weird experience for me. Yeah, those two tracks uh, where I really, for me, the collage track, well, technically three, there's also the last one, but uh, World is Spinning at a 33 RPM and Vortex and Eposet Speed one. That, for me, listening to those tracks, it's just, yeah, it's like one second memory. It's just like, oh, God, like this specific location. and that. But, yeah, I still think, I still tried putting some narratives that I'm just I don't know if people called so one sample I, I really absolutely love in Vortex and percent Speed One and one of those I'm just like it just you had to be there in the moment to catch a recording like this. Mm-hmm. Um, this relates also to sort of the concept I had about this album being train tracks where it's supposed to be well not it's about like voyage and motion and transportation. So there is this idea of like oh tracks like a train. Uh, mm. So, Vortex and you percent speed one, there's a moment you hear someone say, 
open the fucking doors, man. <laughs> and that's me in the go train trying to get to Hamilton. And this train just stopped, I guess, with some technical uh, issue or whatever. And yeah, this guy started freaking out and just started like hating on the doors and just be like, open the fucking doors, man. Oh, wow. I would call that with my walk, man. And then, yeah, minutes <laughs> later, which you hear in the um, song also, like it's kind of this first sample that you hear at the beginning of the track. And then later in the track, you hear a train uh, agent be like, well, unfortunately, the technical issues have been solved, but somebody had to jump out of the train more urgently than others. And so now they're probably on the tracks, and so we can't get the train moving. So I was stuck in that train for, I think, like an hour 30 or something. And oh. yeah, it was like first shutdown, then this guy escapes like out of the train, and then I get to record. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, well, we're going to put you on another train. So we got to the station, and then the second train arrives. Which this is actually the end of in between moments that train arriving into the station is that train that just has is packed already with people and this is pandemic you know we all mask oh, we all trying to distance and they're like we're putting you on this other train that is already like full <laughs> and you can just see the faces of everyone outside uh, inside like as this train arrives on the station so yeah it's pretty thing like this it's just and then yeah. <laughs> Uh, in post-credit scene, which is you know supposed to be oh, it's post-credits. This I guess happened in January 2022. It's me in the Paris subway station, and you hear someone. Uh, there's like this alarm, and someone picks up the phone, and he's like, "Hey, it's me. It's David. Uh, yeah, someone just jumped on the tracks. Yeah, sorry, they're on the metro tracks because some some hobo or something in Paris decided to jump on the tracks. So once again in the album, you have someone like jumping on the tracks while the track is playing." Oh uh, wow! That's incredible. That's so cool. I think it plays into as well this sense of non-linear time that you have mm. on the album, where that is a kind of linear causation, but then it's occurring in amongst this total spaghetti of uh, time running in different directions, which is fabulous. <laughs> It literally it's throws like, you for a loop. Yeah, I kind of said I use the Walkman as a camera more than like mm. some real tool, but it's, yeah, it's definitely, the, you know, with sound, you do have photographic memory, but it doesn't play like a, a photo or even a video, because video is weird. You do have the sound aspect, but I feel like just the sound itself without the like visual like frame mm. of reference is, is an experience in itself. And so, yeah, just being able to like, Catch all these like little snippets on my Walkman was definitely this manic editing of my own memory of just being able to relive these moments because because there's a lot obviously you can't catch with the Walkman like things I tried to record but then yeah. export them you're like oh no there was too low or there's too much other noise going on at the same time and uh, this is what I like about the Walkman it's it's shitty it's like it's <laughs> and it just catches everything kind of like compressed uh, mm. whatever it's hearing so. Yeah, you can kind of never, you can record shows sometimes, the the quality is so nice, and then some of them it's just this wall of noise. Oh, of lovely. Uh, so, yeah, it's just an interesting audio experience. Like, I don't really want, you know, proper crystal clear field recordings. I want this new experience of like, oh, but once you recorded it and you, you deep fried it through tape, like, what, what, what sound comes out of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that this may come up later as well in our discussion on at least one <laughs> of the important picks. Uh, yep. It definitely cropped up in my head. So um, the album is so nice. Uh, I will put a link in the show notes so people can check it out. And please do. It's awesome. Like It gives me a lot of Walkman nostalgia. So yeah um we should talk about your important records now and one question i'd like to ask at this point is about how you thought about the term important uh, and i know in the document you sent over to me uh, there were definitely some thoughts as to how you wanted to take that prompt so yeah could you tell me a bit about how you understood the word important in order to come up with the list of three records that you did absolutely so yeah uh... 
I did do for Echoes and Dust recently. They asked me sort of the same thing through text, where, well, like written form, uh, like mm. three sort of albums. And so I obviously did three that was like, oh, you know, from my early influences and, you know, music that still has like that influence on me, kind of where I come from. So I didn't want to just do part two of that for the podcast. So I was like, mm. oh, let's do something more that like, is important and essential for me now, but essentially since this record was made, because uh, I, yeah, I basically started this album in 2020 and 2021, had it almost finished, and then uh, 2022 was basically confirming with Constellation about releasing it, doing some final touches. But uh, so yeah, I decided like, oh, well, instead of having like, oh, what, you know, inspired this album, more like what music have I discovered since oh. this? Well, now wow. I can't separate myself from, but then I'm like, this is only since 2021 I actually know this music, but it's been such an important sound for me. And obviously the music I'm making now is very influenced by uh, this these albums in particular. Very nice. So let's go with the first one then, Jean. I don't know which one you yeah, want to Yeah, I don't know if you have an order. I didn't really have an order, so I, <laughs> anything goes for me. Okay, I have them in an order on my sheet, and it's random, but uh, Death Is Not The End is the Ooh. first one on the list. So if, oh that... My God. <laughs> so if that works with you, um, if you could give me a little introduction as to why this one's important to you, that would be great. Uh, we're getting into the UK good stuff right <laughs> off the bat. So, yeah, Death Is Not The End. It's this UK label that, from what I gather, is specialised in these rare like specific compilations of lost recordings or very specific like regions or styles and but they make these compilations uh that are like basically a collage of just snippets from pirate radio recordings and there's usually so the first one i feel like they did was bristol pirates Mm. And then there was uh, compilations of adverts from like London. Uh, they have uh, one where it's Manchester. They have one that's actually Brooklyn and it's 2020. And so that is a really surreal one because wow. you hear the, the DJs talking about like the pandemic happening. Um, but so yeah, I discovered these uh, like pirate radio compilations and a total revelation for me like music that i feel like i've been dreaming of like discovering I, it's so to actually talk about like an early influence uh burial has been you know obviously one of my mm. all-time biggest favorite the reasons i started buying records one of the reasons i started making music so much of my music comes from burial and i've always been super influenced by how in uh, an interview he did for the wire he mentions that he never goes to clubs, he never goes to raves. This whole like club world he's building in his head is from his brother giving him music that he's heard at these like parties or these raves or that he's heard on the radio. And it's kind of this imaginary club he's, he's <laughs> feeling. Instead, he's not an actual raver. And that has always influenced me, the kind of the, the club in your own mind. Um, mm. And Burry's music comes from there. And yeah, just hearing these pirate radio recordings, like, this is it. This is exactly, <laughs> you know, this this over exuberant, like, joie de vivre, the, the sound, the, the ads are like selling all these, like, upcoming waves and, like, with just the, the music. And, yeah. you know, imagine it's going to be the time of your life. Who knows what actually happens at the radio? <laughs> you have a shit time. But in that ad, it just sounds like it's going to be the shit. Uh, <laughs> And so, yeah, it's just these pirate radio uh, compilations just appeared to me. And uh, like I have to mention also, uh, 2021 was a, a year of grief for me. I had uh, two friends that died, and it just like it just was an awful year. So to just have this label also called Death Is Not The End, mm. and digging out all these like pirate radio recordings, and just the, the world, like the sound world of these compilations, uh, also, you know, sample gold mine for me, like so many people. <laughs> yeah. Like wow, like it's just like beat snippets that just appear, and you're like, this beat, like <laughs> where does this come? So yeah, uh, death is not the end. I really hope they they keep at it with these uh, 
pirate radio compilations. It's a, even like it's inspired me to try and go on archive.org and try and dig out some of my own because I'm like, well, how are you finding this uh, material? <laughs> some uh, of your own like pirate radio broadcasts, you mean? I mean, no, just uh, actually finding. Um, you know, going on archive.org oh, and going digging through up all these right. archives. Because, you know, there's hours of these, like, collected archives. That, yeah. Uh, if you have the time to dig through them and take, like, the highlights out, then, yeah, I guess you could... I don't know I don't know what that process is. I'd be very curious uh, to just, yeah. you know, reach out to them and let them know how much of an impact these compilations <laughs> have had on me. Because it's, it's really, you know, feels like... There's also... Um, you know, I do radio myself. It's kind of you mentioned it, like making your own pirate radio. Uh, I do host uh, underground sounds here, at CKUT. So I'm sort of involved with radio, but uh, I guess for me, it's more like my mom when I was growing up was always like listening to the BBC and like mm. the, I guess nostalgia when we were in France. It's always like the switch between these two uh, stations. Uh, so that's it. This like leather tape series to have the DBC and it says the Dread Broadcast Corporation, but. It's their own like radio world and just the, the like the, the joy and the uh like this I don't know how they live music is mm. totally inspiring and totally feels like it brings me back to this like past my own but also of radio and like this UK from the past or just you know what lives these people, these hosts must have been having at the time, but once they were behind that booth and they're just on the mic, nothing else mattered and they're just that's not, it's a, just, yeah, inspiring. So inspiring. Oh, I love it. Um, you mentioned there the letter tape series. That's the one that you earmarked to me as the pick out of <clears throat> all of them. So I wonder what it is about that one that makes it edge to the top for you. Well, it's just, oh, it's so a shame that it's not available online. <laughs> it's available in tape format because, yeah, that one for me... The fact that it like heavily relies on the dub and reggae music, which I like, I have to confess, I absolutely love dub and reggae music. I am just completely ignorant about it. I feel like it's always music I've let my friends uh, play and indulge uh -huh. in. And I've just always been like, you know, it's not for me to get into this music, but I've always like really enjoyed. Uh, you know, I was really into Massive Attack, and they had all the dub remixes uh, of their tracks and all that. So, uh, so you know, this tape kind of felt like a good introduction for me. There's even a track on it, uh, Cornell Campbell, uh, um, You're Walking. And that track, I couldn't find it anywhere online. It's not on YouTube. It's, I had to buy the record, the 12-inch, and that was just like, oh, wow, this revelation. <laughs> like, it really felt like I was listening to the radio at the time. <laughs> I've also mentioned this track and I have to look it up and then buy it from a record store and yeah it's nowhere online uh, and yet it's one of my favorite reggae songs ever now wow uh, so yeah the DBC one hits me very hard but then it's also like a, I, 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 whenever I share with people I have to send my own tape rip because it's not available anywhere else <laughs> yeah I'm really glad you shared these with me I mean the the other one you sent over actually was the yeah was the Bristol Pirates one <laughs> which is great as well. That one seems to have more of the interstitial stuff. There's like phone-in competitions. There's like a lot of stuff where, yeah, people are ringing in to give shout-outs. And yeah. there's a really good bit that I really liked where someone's ringing in and I guess they've got their two kids with them and they say, oh, my... Um, my two kids wanted to give a shout out to the silent assassin, but they're too shy to to talk on the microphone. <laughs> just, so I love I love the thought of those kids going, "Mom, could you just call up and give a little shout out to the silent assassin?" Like needs to be done. Um, that is wonderful. Uh, so this is something that you've discovered since doing your latest album. I mean, one thing that I I, I don't know whether this is a question, just a complete ramble. One thing that feels very similar with your album is, again, this sense of it's about the thing. It's mus It's all the stuff around the music. As you're saying, it's like mm. pointing to the rave. There are tracks on it, but it's kind of pointing at this absent centre because the music isn't really centre stage. It's all these people. You know, it's the, the event, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and again it's got this sense of skipping time like the time time is not linear at all you're kind of shuffling you're snaking through time so i wonder if you felt that give it some kind of kinship with your record particularly because the fidelity of these these uh, death is not the end stuff is like super lo-fi as well is that something you kind of see having a commonality with your output no that's very interesting uh yeah for sure the kind of what you said the music about music the very self-referential and the, it's like these hosts singing a song about how they're singing this song while it's <laughs> happening um, definitely and yeah obviously the textures of all like that's it, these like transitions and the, the beats just get this like little lo-fi moments and the voice wobbles out and all it's just ah it's it's all these imperfections that are perfect they're perfect imperfections um, yeah and uh, so yeah, definitely the quality and the just this sort of imaginary aspect. Also, there's like yeah, the fact that they're playing it through the radio with this like pirate broadcasting. You have this imaginary of like what the real song is with the whole yes. like, bass and the fidelity, but you're getting this like transmission version. And so yeah, there's definitely that kind of aspect. And every day is a song where it's like. This, the source material and then the fact that it's been warbled and changed into recontextualized into something else but there's still the imaginary of like oh what that original like slow pitch sound was like if you like i actually had the experience of uh um playing my album at 45 rpm <laughs> and i'm like oh i should try this out there's so many of these samples that are from vinyls that i played by the car speed and yeah, if you play a negative loop at 45 RPM, you basically have the Nenon sample that I used with no oh, effects on no it. no way. Yeah. And then it's basically my remix of this like little Nenon loop. But uh, I guess it's the same for uh, uh, non-locality. If you play it at 45, then you get the original Neon loop of the saxophone from their track. So oh, it's wow. kind of funny that suddenly these samples would reveal themselves. So it was like, oh yeah, that's actually this, but half speed. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, the source and the kind of the it's this whatever this filter basically this kind of vortex of whatever goes through this pirate radio broadcasting or through the everyday is the song tape vortex as we might call it. Uh, it's gonna come out the other end with a whole new layer of sound. I love it. Um, is this stuff? I mean, obviously, with all of these, you've only discovered them and really sunk into them recently so is this one that you still listen to now oh absolutely no i, I keep uh, i i'm actually i keep going through those tapes again to find new samples <laughs> and i really have a project i feel like i'm building that uh, is a radio based album and it's kind of it is pirate radio but there's also uh, i'm using i don't know why it's, uh, just samples of people in films where they're like djs like i have iggy pop being a dj in um uh, what's that film Ah, uh, how am I forgetting? Hardware. Um, uh -huh. It's Iggy Pop in Hardware being a DJ. You have uh, Adrian Barbo in The Fog. Uh, Tom Waits imitating a, a, a radio DJ. So, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, a radio-based album that has to do with hybrid radio films, samples, and uh, kind of me. Actually, okay, so there's this pedal company, Fairfield Circuitry. Uh, they're based in Ottawa here. They just made a pedal that is supposed to emulate radio, like sound and quality. Uh, oh. Wait, let me look it up. It's called the Roger Dad. It's a FM modulator demodulator, uh, and it controls interfere with demodulation accuracy, resulting in familiar yet unexpected signal degradation and noise. Whoa. So I am eyeing this pedal really hard. I don't have three hundred ninety dollars. <laughs> Why not to get it? But obviously, once I do this pedal, uh, yeah, it's gonna inspire. It's gonna be the new layer to this uh, whole radio album I'm preparing. Another Watson. Now listen. Poncho and Chippo invites you all for a champagne party be held at the Peeps Club, 5A Parade Street, on Sunday, the 26th of September. Music by Frontline International. The hit bone song, A. Sean, so why don't we go for your second important album now? 
uh, on my list. It's Yuka Honda, and you picked two here. The the one that you picked out as the say preferred pick or the important pick was Memories Are My Only Witness. But uh, yeah, give me a little introduction to Yuka Honda and why this artist is important to you. So I said she's uh, one of the two members of Sibomato which uh, is a group I'm a huge fan of. Uh, they have this song, Sugar Water, that uh, I discovered when I was a teenager because Michel Gondry made the music video. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've known Thibault Matteau for a long time, but I guess um, 2019, I was really exploring uh, New Japan on the label Tzadik, which is all this... So Tzadik is, uh, I guess, John Zorn's label. Mm-hmm. And then New Japan was this whole series of... Japanese experimental music today. It's like, you know, Yamatanka, Boredoms, uh, Merce Bar, uh, Ruins and all that. But uh, but so surprisingly enough, Yuka Honda is not on New Japan, uh, but she was on the main label. But I kind of found these two albums through that, that uh, I consider sister albums. She has like three albums on uh, Tzadik, but uh, the two I sent are kind of, I feel like paired together in terms of sound. And then the last mm. one, the third one came uh, later and is much more abstract and kind of jazz influenced, uh, which is really interesting. But yeah, these two first ones, uh, memory, uh, Memories Are My Only Witness and Academics, which also Academics kind of became her moniker after like using that for that album. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I discovered them. I guess I might have discovered them in 2020, but... Uh, Big revelation for me. I'm just like, whoa, there's so much about these two albums. They're like, it's uh, this mix of so many, I don't know, sound influences. Mm. You kind of have this like 90s, like beat, like Ninja Tune uh, feel to it, but then sometimes it's more like Ennio Morricone kind of soundtrack. And then you have these like little sound design, then like alternative work numbers and. It's just so expressive, so intoxicatedly well produced. Also, <laughs> like, the production is like mind blowing for me. That it's such a like product of its time. The kind of sounds they use, but then the way they used is like unlike anything else I've heard in that like style of music. So mm. yeah, these kind of two albums kicked my ass. I was just like, wow. <laughs> like how very underrated. I, I kind of I, I find it almost interesting that they're on static because they're so accessible actually it's you know there's some, yeah. some clearly like some of a beat design on that album is straight from Sibometo but uh, it's kind of more like her then exploring her, her own ideas and more diversity and experimentations uh, so yeah really underrated albums like they're not even on YouTube they're not on Spotify once wow. again the albums are uh, like I'm just like they need to be shared with the world more. Um, yeah, yeah, and as you say, memories are my only witness. Was the one that you label as the important one. Mm. So again, what was it that made that one? You mentioned that there's two of the three that really stick out, and then what was it about that one that just gave it the edge? I feel like. I mean, I honestly, I do love you, academics. I mean, we are my only witness <laughs> on the same level, but in ways, I'm my only witness definitely has like more beat. Mm. That, you know, you have this track, Why Distrust the Machines We Made, the second track after this sort of little like soundtrack type intro. And it's these like four different beats yeah. just together and just so cinematic the way it just goes from one to the next. and the the samples the the titles also it's oh, like what? Yeah. so like post work kind of expressive you think you are so generous but it's the most conditional anything I've ever heard it's, <laughs> it's so great let's <laughs> uh, see there's also I I love how it's like very Id- idiosyncratic but also very sensual there's gonna be mm. something so like kind of psychedelic like experimental japanese music about it also that i, I really sensibilities that, that get me uh, so yeah it's just been these two albums that just kind of stumbled upon just looking at something else and i'm like wow how did how am i only finding these now and yeah once again it's just like i want to sample a snippet of each one of these songs almost like. yeah yeah it's 
quite astonishing to hear them both together mm. actually because each one is one of those records where uh, every track subverts what you think the record is and mm. then it's true there's never one that sounds like the other yeah yeah especially with memories i'm only witness i find that the beat bass stuff is very much mm. at the front of the record and then towards the end you get the beats are there but they're not that sort of hard trip hop thing mm. you've got like all the lovely stuff like night drive and yeah oh. the, yeah sure the two last ones well, the, well no there's like a, a but the last one to fall asleep with and night driving that's more like expensive and more like emotional and sensual and yeah it kind of definitely a good contrast with the beginning of the album that's a bit more manic and kind of fun and yeah yeah um do you have favorite tracks from these records yeah i, I mean for different reasons basically uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh you know I, I think the one i mentioned why do we distrust the machines we made that one just for the beats on it it's just like uh, an essential but then i really love uh, the last one to follow sleep with that's such a beautiful soundtrack number mm. so well composed uh, I really loved the uh, Some Days I Stay in Bed for Hours. Also, that was has such a specific mood to it. And it, it almost feels a photo Andy Stutt to me. It's, right. it's, kind of, it's kind of in between Yellow Magic Orchestra and like Andy Stutt. I feel like this, I don't know, there's something about the style of this track that really gets me on the, like, ah, I, I feel artists trying to, emulate this and it's just yeah this one number out of the, the the entire album that sounds nothing like the others yeah 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 uh, but then also on academics i do have to mention there is a i dream about you that has a um the vocalist of sibometto joining so it's basically a sibometto uh, number since they're joined together um ah, right uh, miho atori uh so yeah she sings on a uh, i dream about you and that to just have this like very pop Sibo metal number as part of the two albums is really special also. I really cherish that one. Yeah, that's a beautiful track. Um, mm. Wow. So you mentioned, I think you touched on it a bit there, but that these albums are starting to inform the music that you're making now. So I wondered, it's not always possible to articulate this kind of thing, but what is it about Yuka Honda's music, do you think, is specifically feeding into the direction that you're going in is it clearly the expressiveness the this like personality that's so like that she just makes whatever she wants to make and it doesn't matter that it's like oh you know one moment it could be like yeah total like dance track and then it's this like cute soundtrack number and then it'll be this strange like sound design thing you can just feel this like oh i'm just interested in experimenting and trying out different styles and not feeling like, confined uh, and that's it. there's just this personality that's so exuberant in the album with the, like the titles and the, the kind of uh, diversity and like yeah. One interesting fact I read about Yuga Honda was uh, she was born in Japan, and maybe you knew this already. But she was born in Japan and then moved to Germany, and then moved to I think it's like a little village in Denmark, and then moved back to Japan for elementary school, and said that. You know, she spoke a mix of all three languages, really. And okay, well, people <laughs> struggled to understand her. And obviously she had, I think, what they perceived to be these European yeah. personality idiosyncrasies. So, I mean, uh, it's uh, I, uh, relatable for me. I, I have I basically what I call uh, a British accent with French pronunciation. And now it's tinted by the like, Canadian accent. Basically. Right, right. Uh, wow. I have a very strange accent, and so no matter where I am, people look at me weird. And, just... <laughs> and the one I get in Canada a lot is, "Are you German?" Just really? Just, uh, yeah, I have nothing. I have nothing German, and obviously in Europe, that's not what people ask. But I guess here the weird, like, yeah, French accent, well, like British accent, but then with French pronunciation, I'm not like sing sings of zizes, is that that? It's like it's very yeah German. <laughs> for them and but then i'm like yeah you don't know german people they would not like hearing they, they, this yeah, yeah. <laughs> so did you spend time over here then in the uk uh so yeah yeah i'm to to specify i am uh my father's side is french and my mother's side is british uh, ah right gotcha gotcha yep 
So I never lived in England, but I was visiting, you know, monthly to go see my uh, English family. My grandpa and grandma used to live also in a uh, Munsley, the coastal town of Munsley. Oh wow! Okay, wow. So, so yeah, something you. I am maybe... actually British. So I, <laughs> I, mean, I, I guess I mentioned it when I said my mom used to listen to BBC a lot. So that was kind of the giveaway. Of course, that was yeah. I wasn't yeah. Clearly, wasn't paying attention. That was the that was the big giveaway. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. So you can kind of relate to this. this. I can relate to accents like that. Uh, uh, having an hybrid accent of just like, yeah, you've been all, all around these places and you just had to adapt. And mm-hmm. you know, being in Quebec where you have the Quebecois accent and like how that has now affected the way I speak French. But also in a way that makes sense to me because also the way the Quebecois speak French is kind of a direct translation of English. Right. We French from France, we have our own sort of formulations. So I can do these like direct translations, or I can even say the word in English and they won't you know, bugger me about it here because they will in France because they're like, oh, you're saying an English word, but you know, <laughs> normal. So, um, I see. So, yeah. yeah. Huh. But that's the thing. I go to the UK and they're like, what the fuck is your accent? <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, because I was thinking with Yuka Honda whether that was a, you know, I think she yeah. points towards this, like whether that's a factor that leads towards this music which expresses itself not through a singular direction, but through a kind of splay in many directions. Um, yeah, no, different musical languages. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wondered whether you felt that the way you musically manifest has anything to do with that sensation for you as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I really honestly, I felt like I had to come up with my own genre. You know, I call it cinematic camera tronica, which is, it's mostly a play on words. It's cinematic in French as a film library, but here I'm doing cinema techno and camera tronica <laughs> is electronic music, but with camera in front. But it is mostly because it's just like, how do I describe what I do? And it's, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. like interest in so many musical languages, but like I'm as interested in you know, rap music and beats as I am improvised music. And, you know, then, I mean, you know, even in this selection of these three things, I'm like, oh, well, I kind of felt like I selected three type of beat music that is not actually part of like live performance or like clubs. It's all like you have radio, you have an mm. experimental music label, and then I guess a video game that's coming up after. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. I'm just, you know, I like, having as many influences i like having my metal influences i like having my glitch like electronic influences i like having the improvised like freeform and then just mixing all together um i usually like tell people i feel like i make accessible music for the experimental and experimental music for the experimental. <laughs> it's like it, I, I, there's still you know some form of structure and coherence and all that but the best way to justify it was like, well, I'm doing editing, I guess. And, you know, that removes then the kind of like instrumental performance uh, aspect of what I do to just be like, yeah, it's editing, but it's also to be like, I will, whatever sound wave I can just slide into my project will be like something I will work with. Go to your final important album or soundtrack, as it is. So yeah, tell me what it is, and then give me I do, the introduction. I do consider it an album, though. I like even separated from the soundtrack. I do feel like it stands as an album. That's on its true. Own, but, uh, yes, I've not played the game, so I've only heard this as a soundtrack. Uh, I've I've seen oh, it as a series, but yeah, it it definitely works. But yeah, go ahead. Tell me uh tell me a bit about it. So I chose Yuzo Koshiro's uh, soundtrack for Streets of Rage 2, otherwise known as Bare Knuckles 2, which is a Genesis game. 
Or I guess, wait, Genesis is the American version. I guess it was Game Gear in Europe. I have to make sure I have the white one here. That's a good uh, question. Yeah. Because, yeah, oh my God, we're in the whole like North America, Japan, like English <laughs> tradition. Uh, yeah, there's uh, like three different. So, no, I guess, yeah, Game Gear is, oh, North America and Europe. Okay, so yeah, the Game Gear. The Genesis is, I guess, the Japanese name. Um, Sega Genesis, Game Gear, which is a console I didn't have when I was a kid. I, I know. I guess I will say I am a video game player. I'm not a, a, I'm not a gamer. I'm not to the point of. It's like you know. I I basically feel like I will obsess over very specific games. I'm not like playing games in general, but once in a while I will come across one that I just will get very intense about. And uh, one of them is Streets of Rage. Well, actually, it started with the four. Okay, how are we doing with time? Do I have time for... <laughs> you, you're uh, good. I, do you know what? I saw in your notes you said you got a yeah. really interesting story. And I really okay, want to hear it. Okay, the original story is, is, is bonkers. Um, so, as you might know, in Canada, a lot of people smoke weed. Um, me being one of them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I had this friend who was a dealer. Uh, I will obviously not say his name for um, <laughs> security reasons. But... He had what we call a hydroponic setup in his house, where it's this whole like way of growing weed, which is like a minimal like system of like drops that keep the, you know, it looks like movie shit. You you get into a room and it's walls <laughs> covered with aluminium and big stalls and you know an apartment that just is made for growing these like like gigantic plants, buds that you've never seen. Um, wow. That friend had an issue, like had a fight with his landlord or something, and the landlord, as a way of retaliation, called the SWAT on him. So oh. I even heard about this, like, uh, uh, like a friend was like, "Oh yeah, it's, it looks like there's the SWAT like uh, around the uh, what was uh, well, no, I won't say what word because then that's <laughs> the location." But uh, yeah, mentioned you know kind of this like street the the friend lives on. He's like, "Yeah, shit, I saw the SWAT like just showing up in." And then we learned later, it's like, oh, it's our friend's place. Oh, showed up. So, yeah, Fuchi, you know, he kind of got out of it. From what I, like, gather, he's like, going to court against his landlord and things. But, yeah, I was, you know, he was my friend before he became my drug dealer. So I'm just, like, worried about him. And I'm trying to, you know, like, just keep up, like, catch up and be like, hey, how's it going? You know? Yeah. But it's this weird thing where, like, he just thinks I'm trying to buy weed from him and not like check in. And oh, no. Like, I'm not, you know, I don't want to come buy weed. I want to come see you, see if you're doing okay. So he's like, oh, yeah, you, you can come over and, you know, I'll get some good stuff for you and all this. Like, okay, but, you know. <laughs> so I show up to his place and it's just, it's, it's sad. It's just, it's like I'm, you know, trying to be a friend and I'm trying to like emotion and he's just talking about weed and just that's yeah. his only subject and i'm like dude i'm like worried for you and stuff so it's this like super awkward emotional moment i'm just like <sighs> getting worried for my friend it's like what is the situation and he's, yeah the moment is like do you want to play ps4 and i'm just like well why the fuck not <laughs> <laughs> way of bonding is kind of like okay autopilot he puts on Streets of Rage 4, and I'm just like casually playing this game. And but as it goes on, I'm just like, wait, but this is this is amazing! Like, <laughs> oh my god, this game is so like smooth and fun, and I'm starting to get hooked to it and forget about this whole like emotional situation about like my friends. So yeah, I walk out of there with some weed. Wow. I'm just, just like, wow, I need to check out Streets of Rage 4 on the Nintendo Switch when I get back home. And I download it and I get hooked. I'm just like, it's just that game. Uh, I have what? I have 150 hours or something on it now. Oh, the, the, wow. I, I just, it, yeah, big revelation for me. And the soundtrack in that one is next level. But yeah, I kind of saw that, oh, they had based Streets of Rage 4 on the second one, the one that came out on Genesis. And there's these moments in the game where you're like kind of in a retro level and it's the retro music and anytime yeah. there's one of those moments i'm just like what is this music like it's just it's like the best like yeah genesis like super nintendo type music like 8-bit stuff and so uh yeah on the switch you do have the genesis so they have streets of rage 2 on it so i'm like oh i obviously need to check out the original 
gonna get hooked to that one because I'm just like, what is? <laughs> how did this come out back in the day? Like this is, yeah. This, like I'm almost glad I didn't discover it as a kid. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, as a kid, I think I tried out Double Dragon and I was kind of like, man, it's fine. You know, just it didn't get me. I'm like, I, I guess I always just assumed, you know, Streets of Rage was just a second Double Dragon, but then no, I'm playing it and yeah, Yuzo Koshiro's music is. Like, for me, some of the best club music I've ever heard. It's some of the best dance music I've ever heard. Uh, it's, like, made for a Genesis video game. <laughs> yeah. And the way it's conceived, the, like, the chip sound, the, like, the, the, the sounds, the structures, the, just the whole dynamic. Of, like, it hits you instantly when those songs, like, start playing. And, yeah, I just, you know, I like... I have video game soundtracks. It's something I enjoy, but... For me, Streets of Witch 2 is like that, it's a style of its own. There's no other like beat music or video game soundtrack or any like chip based music to me, for me that sounds like that, that has the same result. So I had a great time with this record. I think one thing that really stood out to me with this is the very, the, the slight abrasive edge to the mm-hmm. music, like the hi-hats, like the open hi-hat yeah. on a lot of these tracks is really, it's got that bit crushed harshness to it, which if you've got it on speakers, like really leaps out, but it just gives this very slight jaggedness that mm-hmm. it, it's so interesting. It's like in a weird halfway place between like video game music and something so much more. Um, what what is it about it that makes it really connect with you? Do you think like more than other other club music, other video game music? It's just fucking good beats. Basically, <laughs> it, it just it just hits me immediately. Like some of these tracks, like it just as soon as they start, just like this is perfection. This is like the the synth lines hit so well. The bass is like yeah, these, and that's it. It all has this quality because of the chip and all that mm. and. It's also, he made these when he was like pretty young. He actually reflects kind of a lot on that on his Twitter, like, oh, how he made these songs back in the day with what technology. And he's always kind of like, oh, I was very youthful and, you know, making mistakes. Or, but there is that energy to it that you're like, it's so, because that kind of what gets me with Streets of Rage also is that if you actually remove the music, the game is pretty slow for like a, a fighting game it's really ah. like, uh, like slow pace the way the characters move and all that the really sense of dynam- dynamic you have uh, wait what is the word more like dynamicity dynamism dynamism yeah that's the one um the dynamism you get from that game is really the music and this kind of like side scrolling it's so narrative and yeah the way also like in the games there's no like text or dialogue so it's kind of just always these like scenes and then the music that actually narrates what's happening so yeah no the the game would be nothing without its soundtrack and i it's also a very interesting fact i find that the user koshiro from what i gather is the first person to actually a video game soundtrack composer to actually own the rights to his own music Right. So he's actually uh, the I think the first composer that on the title screen you have the game and then it's music composed by Yuzo Koshiro and that usually never appears. They never put on the title screen who made the music. Yeah. And that's what he's also able to release. This is why I mean it also works as an album of his own, is that he released Bare Knuckles 2 as just an Yuzo Koshiro album and there's no images of Shoots of Rage on it or anything. It's just like wow. this is the album. So yeah, it's also, that's it. It kind of is music you can have removed from the game and still be uh, super effective. Mm. And uh, there's a video also I love. They performed this live at the Red Bull Music uh, Festival in Paris in, uh, I believe, 2018. Wait, I can look it up. <laughs> just, to, just to see that music being performed, like it's done on like CDJs, but doing effects and all that. But it's like, God damn, this is... One of my dream shows of just like this music <laughs> being played on these like big speakers and just oh. experience it like a club because it's like that's what I visualize when I kind of to get back, you know, to the radio uh, singer Death is Not the End of like this imaginary club you imagine from this music. I get that from Streets of Rage. It's like this is the. So yeah, I did pair the first album because the first album also has bangers and the first game is also great. But it's really the second one that is like a masterpiece in its own right. But wow. uh, yeah, you know, it's like 
I can so easily listen to that uh, music by its own uh, or play it with the game. It's both both do the same for me. It's so interesting now when you explain it like that, you've picked this and the radio one, which do generate this sense of a club, but kind of beamed to these atomized people, right? So you've got people in their yeah. room just bopping, which, you know, considering you discovered these from 2021 onwards, obviously we were all trying to find means of uh, having these unified experiences through live streams and you know, club club nights on like Zoom and stuff like that. So it's very yeah. interesting that you pick these almost like proto versions of that sort of collective but atomized experience within these these album mm. picks. It's very curious. Yeah, this kind of a imaginary world that we experience from music. Yeah. yeah. Um you mentioned Streets of Rage four being the one that kind of got you into Streets of Rage. Mm. Correct me if I'm wrong. So that's a different composer who that's I read... different composers. Uh, it's multiple of them, actually, but I do think uh, Yuzu Koshio did do some contributions, though. Ah, I but, did, yeah, right. That, that one is multiple. Uh, uh, you know, you have, you have even, like, Ground is Lava, I think, is there's one of the tracks on the album, but it's just, like, one track, so it's kind of, yeah, different composers, different songs. But the soundtrack on that one is incredible, but obviously, you know, it's with modern sounds and all that. You don't have this whole, like, uh, yeah, 8-bit cluster just beats like you had in the, the original but you can actually in the game uh decide to switch the soundtrack to the original you oh, can actually go wow. the option to have like old school soundtrack it's just funny because sometimes the choices of tracks they use for scenes are not really fitting but it's so fun <laughs> to experience uh, yeah because i was going to ask about that particularly because you've got that bit you mentioned where it suddenly switches into that retro mode on Street Rage 4. Mm. I guess it must really highlight the differences between the these soundtracks, but yeah, it sounds like you connect with the Streets of Rage 4 soundtrack as well, just oh, maybe not sure. to some extent, yeah. But like also the, you know, Streets of Rage 4 is the perfect tribute to Streets of Rage 2, like the way it just echoes between both of them. Um, yeah, it's, it's, no, Streets of Rage 4 is also a, a really excellent masterpiece. Uh, you know, Street Switch 2 has them more like just wow, this is this is from the past, you know. This <laughs> like what like is this is it just imagining me like as a kid if I had a Genesis I was playing this, it's like man, I like what would I have made as music if this was like my kind of Oh my god instruments. Like this is almost, you know, kind of the related to the I've only discovered this music from twenty twenty one, but like wow, if this that like influenced me earlier like what would have been the result uh i did have that with streets of which was just like wow this this music was like calling to me almost like a... I, I usually ask about favorite tracks at this point i don't know how applicable that is here but do you have particular oh, pieces no, that stand oh, out yeah 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 um i feel like for me the one that you know almost feels like a pop song i'm just like wow there's just such a like nicely composed song uh this dreamer um uh -huh. Oh, it's preceded. Oh my God, the ready funk. The one that comes before is oh, that one is. Oh, I can't even explain how fun, <laughs> amazing that track is. In the bar, also, I actually had a, an experience recently where I, I got to DJ at the Casa del Popolo, which is a, a, a famous local bar here, and my friend DJs, and so we did it back to back. And I have Streets of Rage 2 on soundtrack, so I was able to play In the Bar. Oh, in the bar, yeah. I was so In the Bar is also a song I absolutely love. Uh, Wave 131 also, man, so good. Ah, yeah, no, what, that's it. You know, I just look at the trackers. I'm like, this is album. <laughs> I just, like, I, without the context of the game, I'm just looking at the tracks and be like, yeah, this one is, like, so, like, great. And, yeah. Alien Power also. Alien Power for me is, like, wow, it's... You could release that on Warp these days and it would fit. People wouldn't complain about a track like Alien Power being re-released in 2023 on Warp Records. Right. I'm, I mean, the first track on Bare Knuckles 2 sounds like a, like an early Aphex thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's it. There's that kind of very acid techno feel to it, but it's, I don't know, it's, you know, to I do listen to techno and electronic and you know beat music but yeah there's nothing that really like for me hits like Yuzo Koshiro hits there's mm -hmm. not like oh it's this genre or like this you know school of 
like production that it's no it's really just this one guy who like <laughs> one like like job saying that he had to make the soundtrack for this fighting game and just fucking did a master masterpiece like yeah um you so you dj this uh what was the reaction that's so fascinating to to get it suddenly in like a social space how did how did it go down no one recognized it at Casa del Popolo, but now that I recall, I did play it also in a DJ set that I did at La Lumiere, which is like a micro cinema, and it was like an abstract film screening. And someone did recognize those from Streets of Rage 2 and was like, hey, my man, like, okay. <laughs> That's lovely. The right? abstract experimental film screening, but you do know about Streets of Rage 2. And, like... <laughs> and he also said the poll was really good, so we bonded over that. Because uh, if he didn't like it, then it would have probably. Uh, Jean, this has been so good. Like, what a bounteous selection of records that you give me to dive into. And I've had, as I've said, a stellar time with with all of them and with your record as well. I mean, what one other question I like to ask is about how you tend to buy and listen to music, kind of day to day. Like, what are your what are the formats you usually go for? Where do you go to buy your music? Yeah, tell me a bit about that. That's really interesting you ask that because wow, this album is kind of about that, about like how music bleeds into my life, and I kind of, hmm. I've decided, you know, since I'm 16, I've committed to just like my life is music, like my social environment is artists, I, like I keep going to shows, I keep like listening to music, I make music from music, like. I need to listen to music to then make my own because it requires me. So, yeah, and there's that be that's it. You know, having a tape collection but not having the means to listen to it. Then and now, like having the Walkman. So that obviously made my tape collection during the pandemic just started like blowing up. Um, I've been collecting vinyls, I guess, since I'm like. 14, I started, like, my two first records were actually Burial and Fortet. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Muffin Wolf Cub, because there's just, like, I, I was, what, I was, when, when did that come out? 2008? I was 15 or, like, 14. And it's just like, wow, I want to listen to this, but I, I need to buy the actual record. And my dad had a turntable that was still uh, in the garage, so I just, yeah, bought this record and then was like, oh, well, I guess I need to keep going from here. Like, <laughs> uh, not just have the one and uh yeah so you know that's been growing that's like it grew in france then it started growing in montreal there's definitely like i go a lot to shows so usually like merch table used to be really nice uh back in the day to i mean it's still always nice it's coming back at least but um mm. uh, so yeah it's just like music is omnipresent in my life but then there's not this like no, I don't dedicate like, oh, I need to listen to an album a day or like, oh, I need to like anytime I go to a show, I will like buy uh, like something from the, it, it's kind of chaotic and I'm just really like, <laughs> all over the place of, you know, it's like, yeah, through like digital tape, vinyl shows, of like jams with friends. It's just, like my life is always just surrounded by music. And then a big part about this album was also just uh, this like, you're hearing music and sound even when you go outside there's all this like you know s cars passing by you they're like blasting a song and you go mm. in the supermarket and there's music playing and when you're just in that state of just being attentive to sound when you're walking with a walkman and you're just like oh i might you know capture sound here and that there's the, the, this abundance of sound and so there's a video during pandemic then seeing this whole like discourse about music about streaming about like these new ways that like artists should be making music and all that. And for me, it just felt completely like obsolete and just 
contradictory to my whole experience of music and sound that I, I don't use so this is it, the one format I don't use is streaming I don't stream music I don't have a Spotify account and you know it's not to be Banksy or some shit and be like you know <laughs> what people like use that but it just doesn't fit into my way of consuming music and yeah then there's all these like discourses and talks about streaming I'm like that is you no know, Wow. The iceberg for me that you're not even getting to all this other way of like music being part of your life and consuming and how to create. And that's definitely seeing a lot of conversations where like people just fundamentally don't get how people create, like how creation happens. And, mm. and like, oh, it's this preconceived, like you walk in the studio and you know exactly what you're going to do and what result you're going to get. And it's like, no, it for me, it's the complete opposite. It's the most chaotic, like, <laughs> whatever sounds I will come across that I can grab and just stick into a song and make it work. Uh, I don't know. That's fabulous. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question. That, that definitely does. That is brilliant. I think that's wonderful in amongst the abundance of music you're taking and that streaming doesn't play a part in it. Uh, sounds like there's a lot of human interaction that's facilitating discovery, which is so lovely. And that I think once you get on... The wagon with streaming you need to actually actively find means of doing that again um yeah yeah yes it's like yeah i think it, it's you know edgy to say this but i do consider every day as a song an anti-algorithm album it's like this this doesn't fit into an algorithm of like oh it's because you've experienced this and now you're going to receive this or you're going to be into this it's like it's just walk outside and see what music you get stand <laughs> <laughs> oh. on it amazing uh, that feels like a lovely place to wrap up. Jean, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. Your pleasure. Thank you. To everyone listening, I'll see you next time. Goodbye. Thank you. Yeah.